0: It gave everybody an awareness that what their problem was was not what they were talking about. It's what they weren't talking about. The information in between the spaces can come out in a visual.
1: Welcome to the Thriving on Overload podcast. I am Ross Dawson, a futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by how we can excel at dealing with the universe of information, and the author of the book Thriving on Overload. Every week, we share insights from information masters on how they transform today's avalanche of information into insight, foresight, and better decisions. For more goodness on this topic, be sure to visit thrivingonoverload.com, where there are wealth of resources to help you thrive including all podcast episodes with transcripts, excerpts from my book, and if you are really intent on amplifying your information productivity, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, which helps you develop a personal information plan you can immediately put into practice. And be sure to sign up for our weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter if you want to optimize your information productivity. If you enjoy this episode, please do subscribe and give a rating or review on iTunes. It helps others interested in this topic to find these resources. Now, on with the show. On this episode, we learn from Eileen Clegg. Eileen has been a longtime pioneer in visual journalism. She is the founder of Visual Insight, who is now also the CEO of Tapestry, which automates the creation of visual summaries of online meetings. She's the author of seven books, including Claiming Your Creative Self and Creating a Learning Culture. You can find more on Eileen's new startup at tapestryai.com. In this episode, she shares insights on visual journalism, the archetypical languages of shape, deep communication, ancient symbols, learning visual language, shared frameworks, and far more. Keep listening, and you're going to learn a lot from Eileen's wonderful insights. Elena, it's a delight to have you on the show.
0: So good to see you, and thank you so much for having me.
1: So we first crossed paths, I think it was around 20 years ago, and you were the very first time I experienced somebody taking visual note-taking, a big whiteboard at the back of the room. You were drawing what it is that was being said, and everyone was able to go back and have a look and see in just one picture the ideas of the keynote. And since then, that's now become... Uh, Well, not quite commonplace, but certainly you see it around quite a bit. But you're at the vanguard of that. So I'd love to hear the story of how you came to be doing that.
0: Yes. Well, thank you for asking. And I do remember those times and you as the thought leader about emerging technologies and the meaning for people. And I was sort of practicing an emerging technology that of course now is evolving into a, a new technology that's beyond just paper and pastels. But back then, the very beginning there were a handful of us doing this on the planet. <laughs> and now there are ten thousands, I mean there are thousands, tens of thousands. Um, our professional association has many, many, so it is much more common now. Interesting that it started at Institute for the Future. So while they were forecasting the world that we see today, what you were talking about then and the thought leaders and it's all here, your life on a card, they were saying before the iPhone. It was so exciting. And we were also excited about technology. But here I was with butcher paper on the wall, four feet tall, with pastels all over my fingers. One of my clients said, sometimes it's like you know kindergarten around here. There's pastel dust everywhere. <laughs> so on the one hand, we have all this excitement about this technology. On the other hand, what's bringing people together in the room and helping them literally see complex ideas that are hard to grasp um, with this very old-fashioned way of working and not fancy art. They were really very simple shapes that bring ideas together that we all understand. And why does it work so well? Well, we'll talk about that because I did do a lot of scholarship around that. But in the very beginning, I would realize if you ask somebody, what would you do with your hands if you're excited? And they would make a ricky in a, you know, a nervous moving back and forth. If you ask them, how would you show wholeness or health? They will make a circle with their hands. And that is that we all really speak this archetypal ancient language of shape. It's in our bodies. It's maybe instinctual. You and I were talking about, you know, writing back and forth about our mutual interest in Carl Jung and archetypes. And those are as much instinctual as they are visual or thought. So situating complex ideas in ancient language Mm -hmm. is a pretty exciting way to think about communication. Thank you so much for not only inviting me on your podcast to to share this, but also your great questions that had me really thinking about this kind of ancient and emerging way of communicating and how that works together. So in the very beginning, back to your question, IFTF, back then we were using visuals to help us understand complexity, share it, and to help us forecast to see a bunch of disparate ideas and what were the patterns? And in those patterns, could we begin to see what was next? That was then. Since then, those technologies have happened. We are all connected, hyper-connected. Our social lives are really confusing. Um, I can give some examples of that, but you probably have millions. We're like, what's the rule now about that? And we're drained and we're tired of cyberspace, the video conferencing, all that. It's kind of draining our energy, which is why I like your whole notion of overload. And so I think now we have a different job than we had when you and I first met with the visuals and it was novel then. And the job now is to help people be, feel more human, creative and energized and art is a tool for that.
1: Yeah, no, that's a yeah you know, fantastic framing for it. So, before we dig into some of that, one one question is: I mean, I, I'm big big believer of, of visual uh, frameworks and communication. You know, practice that in my own way over the years. But is this something which is for everyone? For some people, there are some people we've have very different styles cognitively. For example, some people are very happy in three D. Some people are not. So how, I suppose, inclusive is the visual storytelling? Is it even more inclusive than words, or you know, does this resonate more for some people than others?
0: Well, we talk about this a lot, and the statistics are pretty fuzzy. We like to say one-third, one-third, one-third. So one-third of people are highly visual, and it does kind of play out anecdotally, but the research is hard to come by. <laughs> So one third of people are highly visual to the point where they may really need to themselves put something in a visual frame, see it in their heads visually, but the visual is essential to their cognitive processing. And then there's another third who might find it interesting, amusing, helpful. Okay. You know, that, that range. And then there's a third that really just, you know, they're okay with it, but it's not really key to their way of thinking. Maybe there were some different percentages there, but there are, there is that range of people. However, to your other question about, does it affect everybody? I think the research will tell us now that the ancient people probably uh, used art and symbols before language. And it is something that we all know instinctually because of the world around us, it's visual. And if you situate ideas in something physical, it stays with you. You know, when you go back to a place, you can remember everything that happened there before. So often, you know, we, we anchor our experiences in visual landscapes. So I think that is something that's pretty common. I would say probably more than two thirds of people benefit from that dual cognition of having an idea situated in a song or um, uh, in a picture some other sense besides the uh, rational word
1: so i'd like to frame this as so this is now uh, as you say a relatively common practice there's plenty of people doing that so as a pioneer in the field how is somebody i suppose trained or how do they develop their capabilities what are their fundamental skills so somebody perhaps uh, has a little visual aptitude or you know in, in a way of you know has i suppose the underlying talents so how do you train? What do you teach somebody or what do they need to learn in order to be be a visual storyteller or note taker?
0: One of the biggest joys in the last 20 years have been the, a few trainings that I did because they were very different than the typical trainings in visual language and everybody can learn without exception. So first of all, the whole idea that you need a lot of little details, like you have to draw the the flower than the you know the literal translation this is not a literal translation it is a literal figurative it is a big picture that can contain a concept and as we I was saying earlier about how our bodies naturally make these shapes that's what i teach people and that's how i learned i had no training in doing this i was a journalist a print journalist In my family, I was not the artist my sister was. I was the writer. And at IFTF, when the Halcyon days, I started doing this just for my own benefit and it was more fun at meetings. And so I would just do whatever my body told me to do naturally. I didn't think, is this an arrow? Is it a circle in the beginning? It was just, it's body language, it's sign language that leaves a mark. So if you can use your body uh, to communicate, which we all do with our hands when we're allowed to, you can learn how to do this. You you learn the flow of that. So that's what I train people to do, not to pay attention to the perfect little drawing. And certainly the best visual journalists are not the best classic artists necessarily. In fact, usually not because you can't spend too much time on the detail. It is how do the ideas Mm -hmm. flow, what connects to what? And it's more, the way that I train people is to have them help somebody else express something difficult. So they get focused on somebody else's communication needs and to empathetically listen and to try to feel what the person is saying and then how does that look? And it doesn't matter how pretty it is, it matters that they are reflecting something important that somebody else had to say. And so the training's a lot like that. It's much more about deep communication, empathy, and visually connecting ideas.
1: It strikes me that, in fact, one of the great services could be simply sitting down with anybody and saying, tell me what you're trying to express. Let me present it back to you visually and helping them to understand their own ideas better, let alone uh, other people.
0: Absolutely. And that's why I call myself a visual journalist because in journalism too, that was the highest compliment. And for you as well, I've listened to your podcasts so you get this compliment as well. I didn't know what I was thinking as well before I talked to you. Now I, I understand my own thinking better because of your guidance. So yes, you can definitely do that with the visuals. I do it for my friends and often for young people. It's a gift to help people with their thinking. And I offer you that gift as well. It's very fun to do.
1: You earlier on mentioned this idea of archetypes. And so this is something where you said that we you know, use our body to, in particular ways to express ideas. You know, perhaps we can sort of go go back. You, I, I believe you've studied Jung and have uh, looked at that at a fairly deep level. So, so if necessary, let's let's go a little deeper to look at the idea of archetypes in this idea of being able to crystallize and communicate our ideas
0: so that's the evolution the evolution of this form of communication so what we discussed about connecting ideas and using body language to express ourselves visually that's kind of the floor that's the beginning and everybody can do that as we move up into more sophisticated thoughtful ways of using visuals to contain information that's where the archetypes come in. And I do have an interesting story about this too. When I was doing visuals in the beginning, I was strictly using what what I mentioned, just the, the uh, in, in, instinctive, intuitive way of using my hands to draw. But what I was drawing were archetypal symbols. I would use spirals in a certain way. I'd use triskelions. These are symbols I really didn't, understand. I would know what kind of an animal to create, when to put a snake in there. Then I, I had a colleague. Do you remember Bonnie DeBarco? She was Buckminster Fuller's archivist in Shape of Thought, a good colleague, a lot of in 3D visualization very early in that. Uh, she saw me work one day and she said, I want to tell you something. You are using ancient symbols. Did you know that? And I said, well, no, I didn't. And that's when I realized that probably we carry knowledge of ancient symbols actually in our DNA, because I really did not know. Then I began studying why certain images were so very powerful. They were, and I, I wrote a little book, I'll send you it when I, this came to me. Well, as I went back for a two-year, actually master's program in Union studies, uh, to understand how metaphor archetypes and these, uh, I call them master symbols. They're the kind of symbols Jung said, they're pregnant with meaning. It's not just the spiral's a spiral. It's something that opens up a kind of ineffable spaciousness where we read more into it. It actually generates ideas. It doesn't just capture them. So these symbols are very powerful containers for something beyond words. Um, And that's what I studied. So the archetypes are um, patterns, instincts, like when you read a fairy tale, the prince the king, the grail, those are archetypes. They're something we all kind of understand deeply. A mountain, a barrier, an iceberg, things that are metaphors that we know because maybe our ancestors ran into icebergs. I mean, we know there's something below there and there's something showing. These are um, images that convey a lot to us um, and show up throughout history and throughout time.
1: You are listening to the Thriving on Overload podcast. If you truly want to increase your information productivity, then check out the Thriving on Overload interactive course. It is designed to significantly enhance your information practices and habits, guiding you through creating your own personal information plan so you can excel in a world of overload. Go to thrivingonoverload.com course to find out more. Now back to the show so that uh, i suppose what you're saying almost evokes that it, this is about stories so if something's static that's one point but you know the the mountain is a challenge which implies that you've got to go and climb it or go around it whatever or the you know the prince is on a quest so this is then about you know not just what is a, a piece of meaning but also imbuing that and pulling that into a story i presume
0: Yeah. And that's become interesting as we've developed, I I told you, it's just going to launch very soon. We developed a technology that can produce a visual of a meeting immediately. Push a button, you have a visual. You have the words, the quotes. I know it sounds impossible, but we've done it. If you saw our team, you'd understand how and why we could do this. What we have realized is that in order to convey a lot in a very simple picture, we need to use the big symbols in a different way, in in this kind of way that conveys a lot of information very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. And just for a moment, I lost my train of thought because I'll tell you why. I've been so heads down with making these ideas work by working with technologists who actually can make a concept into an algorithm that in talking to you, I'm going back to the philosophy and ideas that led to all of this, but for the last two years, it's been how to make it work. (laughs) So I just kind of got into that. So let's go back to your, your thought that um, we're bringing this to people now in an automated way.
1: So you made a comment how the generative AI with Dali two and mid-journey and stable diffusion and so on. You said you see a bit of synchronicity in the evolution of those in terms of, uh, I suppose, the the state of society.
0: Yes. And again, because of all your great questions, I came to see that connection. It had seemed like a a lucky coincidence because we already had generative AI and we already were working with automated visuals. We also could put meaningful phrases in there. So I just thought, oh, very cool. Uh, This year, everybody's into exactly what we're doing. But because of your questions, as I contemplated that, I thought, why are people so excited about the generative AI about these? They're actually, as a friend of mine said, they're intriguing, but not satisfying for the most part they don't have that artistic excitement that you get when you see a Van Gogh. Although some of them actually are cool. In the beginning, I was like, whoa, these aren't you know, my definition of art. However, the idea that we, someone can just put in some words, like you said, if somebody you're interviewing somebody and make a picture of their ideas, they can just put in some words and get a picture of what that might look like, it, could, it helps them think differently. It's fun. <laughs> That's another thing. I mean, we're all so exhausted in these meetings and there's nothing fun about it. And the art, it does so much for us. It's emotional. We feel our feelings a lot of times when we look at it. We turn off the words for a minute. The spinning stops in our brain to look at this like, oh, what's that? Um, so I I'm, I'm started me thinking like all the ways that art is an antidote to what we're experiencing today. It's fun. It's colorful. It's not always a direct translation of what has happened, but it allows for some innovation, some interpretation. Right now, all the general AI is kind of off over here in its own land, but my business partner, thinking partner, Ramana Rao said, "Yon beauty is utility. So we're kind of taking that beauty and making it useful like you're in a meeting and you're disconnected but and then you know at the end there's going to be a picture and you'll look and are your words in there how do your words fit with other people's and then you can look at the picture and say why did that quote come out that's very weird but then you can click to it and see where it is in the transcript so now your transcript is no longer just something, oh, I have to go read that, see what happened. It's, it's given a different context from the visual. Now you have kind of a whimsical and creative way to look at that meeting. And, oh, I know what I was going to mention earlier when I got a little off track. And it was that um, we tend to try to translate things directly, ideas. And actually, I'm in that ineffable area that's really hard to describe, but it will be very different for people to have something that is putting words that they use all the time into a different framework. And as you said, you know, how do you think about things in your questions? Do you have a framework? This can give people a shared framework. And interestingly, one of the benefits is people start talking in the metaphors they've generated. So if a bridge happens to come up, then people will talk about, oh, we crossed that bridge, or, you know, what's that shark in the water? Oh, I know what that shark is. And then now they talk about the shark, and everybody knows what that is. One thing that we're doing, and this is something that I, I wrote about right after the Jungian studies is that words go together in ways that we don't usually think about. There's a meta level of communication around action words. So you and I are having this conversation and I'm saying excitement, or I'm saying communication a lot, those words, then we see the kind of conversation we're having. If we say competition or winning or who's ahead a lot, we know the kind of conversation we're having. So it's not just about content. It's about the sense of it, the the meaning, the flavor and the of our interaction. And so the kind of symbols that pop up. And this happened for me too, when I worked live and it was lots of fun when it happens. Because you'll suddenly have Chris, an example, at one meeting, everybody was talking about a value chain and so I'm trying to draw a chain because I just learned how to make a perfect chain. It's like, oh good, I have a chain and I'm going to put all these ideas about the value chain in there. That's really exciting. But then what they ended up talking about were all the things going wrong in the company. So I just put that in the corner because I like I did not that want that to mess up the chain. We're talking about the value chain, aren't we? But in the corner, pretty soon in the corner, there's this big circle and it's black in a circle with words in it. And then it's connected to the chain. And then at the end, this was a, a client that liked to have the whole gallery from the day. We would walk through the gallery at the end of the day. It was literally a gallery in New York. And they got to that everybody, oh, it's a ball and chain. We have a ball and chain. This is what's dragging us down. So the metaphor just popped out and it gave everybody an awareness that what their problem was was not, what they were talking about. It's what they weren't talking about. And so that's what you get is that the information in between the spaces can come out in a visual. It's intriguing.
1: That's a lovely, lovely example. So this, you know, we have, you know, lots of ideas and we're trying to distill that, to make sense of that so we can know more, yeah, understand the world, make better decisions, and you know, as you say, when you can imagine this long meeting, for example, or a long presentation, and just distilling that into the ideas, that's when you know the the real value is distilling. You know, it's a distillation process, but more than that is around evocation. I think that's, that's a lovely example which you give, the ball and chain. But also I can, or even the bridge, as you mentioned, where people may not have used the word bridge, but when they see it, then that sort of gives them a framework to understand that better. So I'd love you to just give me a little snapshot of your new product. So that's out next year, Mm -hmm. I understand.
0: We're able to work with it now and we are working, using it with people. We're just, it's not in the uh, marketplace yet. it will be in the Zoom marketplace so, we have a back end that takes the transcript. You know, we go from audio to the transcript, and from that, it generates a picture with different with layers and it pulls out the main ideas. Uh, and the way that happens is this you know, uh, I told you a little bit about how symbols themselves end up helping us organize information. So the symbols have really helped us build this product. So Jung would be very happy to know that <laughs> we've actually put those symbols to work. So in the end, you push a button, and there you have a picture of your meeting. You can choose different backgrounds that would generate a little bit different. You can edit. You can go back and say, there's like five phrases that were chosen as significant phrases. But as a user, you can say, You know, I'd really rather have that phrase. It means more to me. Um, And then you can shift that around. You could do a little bit of changing with symbols. Of course, not too much because we want to keep the big flavor of what the metaphor is. That's the the meaning. But there are lots of ways you can kind of play with that, too. So we have some fun UX stuff.
1: So is, is it created live or is it just generated at the end?
0: It's right now. It's generated at the end. So we absolutely are going to have it so you can see it being created live. I mean, there's so many directions for this, Ross. It's so exciting. It's what we have right now is quite useful. Just like, kind of like me being in the room only, you know, not quite there, but at, with the live visual journalists, but not bad, pretty close. So we've got that. You can get it. And then, but you think about in the future, when you can see it in a square in your meeting being drawn where You know, you'd have so much, so many ways to use it and play with the tool. Uh, With generative AI, we're able now to create quite an interesting set of visuals, but more and more, there'll be more self-assembling, more nuance, you know, sort of reading the emotions in the room more directly. We have ways to read the context, sort of the subtext, as I was saying. But emotions, you know, there is so much that's out there that's just, just... endless fun it's endless excitement what's possible and it's very good right now at the end of a meeting kind of like what i did if you weren't watching me do it as as we went along
1: (laughs) so what what's the name of the product and when will it be available it's
0: called tapestry so what we do is we generate a tapestry and we like that because it gives a sense of weaving things together and you know it feels good and it should be at the end of 2023. In the meantime, we are working with some enterprises already on on some uh, companies and uh, colleagues already to generate um, from their transcripts. So we're, you know, we have a lot of, you know, customer interaction as we get close to uh, launching. So, Love to experiment with you. We can we can play with it a little bit. So we're seeing how people use it and making our kind of final tweaks. But I would say I'll let you know. You'll be among the first to know. But I think it should be January or February 2023 that it will be in the Zoom marketplace.
1: Very excited <laughs> to see that. It's, you know, and in, in the book, Thriving and Overload, I talk about the importance of visual communication and this visual framing of our ideas. And so this is a way which you could certainly... Sists, you know many of us to to do that and be more effective at that so perhaps to round out like so perhaps transcending or not our conversation so far so for anybody whether they have any visual inclinations or otherwise what would be some of your practices personally or other recommendations or suggestions for anybody who is striving to do better in a world of overload? What are some suggestions? What are some uh, practices that people could try to help them to uh, be more effective and more balanced?
0: Of course, I'm continually working on that. And as I wrote to you, everybody on our team has that awareness. We talk about how we do it. We do it together. In our meetings, we have meditations, we have our medicine of the week, you know, joy, you know, emotions. We read even sometimes passages like the one recently, room, the poet Rumi wrote about the guest house and inviting in even the negative emotions and the difficulties. So I think one of our problems in general is that we shut down who we are as human beings. You know, the fears, the anxieties, we're supposed to just, you know, have emotional containment and set that aside. But we're people, we feel those, we bring those into meetings. So one of the the ways that I think about it is is this new brain research that what is most important to cognition is not necessarily all the gray matter, it's the white matter, the myelin sheaths in between the connective tissue so connecting the ancient brain and the you know thinking brain the amygdala the connections so anything that can help integrate who we are as human beings with the people we work with with ourselves thinking ahead of time I'm going into this meeting and you know what's on my mind and really taking the time out and that's where the art comes in people can do that they can make notes themselves. Visualization, of course, if you're a visual person at all, that can help integrate. Even doodling is a way to have uh, an expression for something you're feeling that you might not have words for. So any way of honoring our humanity that in our feeling do not always have words to go with them, especially in, in our culture. So any way of creating space for those aspects of ourselves that aren't expressed will end up giving us energy back. We're giving away a lot of energy and thinking about what brings our energy back to us, what integrates us with what's, it's sort of an inner outer balance, the internal and external and keeping the internal. And I think art is, and this is something Jung said, it is a translator between the psyche and the outside world. So that is one tool that's very powerful. But the overarching challenge we all have is to keep our internal selves connected and resonant with what's happening around us. That's a challenge.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's actually uh, uh, useful to me. And, and not least in reminding me and, uh, and hopefully our listeners as well that, you know, taking on information is not purely a cognitive thing. It is an emotional thing. It is about who we are. It's how we feel in the world. And we have to acknowledge those emotions. And one of the ways to do that is, yeah, journaling is, is a wonderful thing to do for all sorts of reasons, mm-hmm. but also being able to try to you know, visually to, to capture not just what we are thinking, but also what we are feeling is is probably really central <laughs> to our ability to to thrive on a world of overload. So thank you so much for your insights and your work, Eileen, from the very beginning. And so excited about what you're creating now. So it's a great pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you. Thank you, Ross. Thank you for listening to the show. If you want more resources to help you thrive in a world of exponential information, go to thrivingonoverload.com where you can find all podcast episodes, transcripts, show notes, excerpts from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, and a trove of other useful content and resources, including a weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter to keep across it all. If you like this episode, please do help us be found by giving us a rating or review and subscribe if you'd like to hear more. This is Ross Dawson. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day.